when the Lord uh, decided to reveal uh, himself uh, and, and plan, uh, it's interesting who he chose. He chose lowly shepherds, like nobodies, shepherds. Uh, and if you study who the shepherds were and you know anything about uh, the construction of being a shepherd in Israel, uh, these were not your normal shepherds. Uh, in Israel, they uh, had shepherds uh, that uh, were part of uh, places that raised sacrificial sheep. These were called in Hebrew, migdal eders, migdal eders. Uh, and that is all they did. So the, the shepherds around Bethlehem were not just normal shepherds. They were, uh, they were those kind of shepherds. So all the sheep that were there around Bethlehem uh, were being raised for sacrifice. And this is a whole sermon in and of itself because when Mary and Joseph were riding by and Jesus wasn't gonna be born, it's most interesting that the ultimate lamb of God is riding by. Uh, all those little sheep would not need to be used anymore for sacrifice because Jesus would be the sacrifice. But uh, that's who he show, showed up to. Now I've been in Israel many times and I've been on the, it's called the Shephela, uh, the low lying hills that go up from the, the plains uh, uh, by, the, by the Mediterranean Sea. The low lying hills that go up to Jerusalem are called the Shephela uh, in Hebrew. Uh, and Bethlehem is in those uh, low lying hills. It's uh, not far from Jerusalem. I've been at a kibbutzim uh, or, uh, on the hill overlooking Bethlehem and you can, it's just right there. I mean, it's amazing how close it is. In fact, Israel is not a very big country. You can fly across the width of it in a, so from the, my pilots that have know of such statistics, you can fly across the width of the country in uh, five to 10 minutes. <laughs> That's small. Uh, and here you have these shepherds out on a lowly hill, on, the, on those rolling hills uh, in the evening. Uh, and what do shepherds do? Well, they have to protect sheep uh, from wild animals. And so somebody had to have guard duty that night. And if you pick somebody for guard duty, what do you want them to do? Stay awake. You want that guy to stay awake. And maybe a couple of them stayed awake, depending on the size of the, of the, of the amount of sheep that they had. So uh, I've been in that region before. I've, I've stumbled upon one time, one of my trips to Israel, I was walking through the heavy brush uh, and I went away from where the tour group was and was walking around and I ran into a shepherd and his sheep and his guard dog. Uh, I think it was a German shepherd who was hungry. Uh, for an American that day. <laughs> and here came the dog. Uh, I, was, I was actually about ready to meet Jesus right there. And uh, here came the dog. So if that evening when the Lord appeared or the angel appeared, uh, you know, you got the shepherds doing the mundane thing. We protect sheep. Uh, and uh, somebody's got guard duty. Maybe a couple guys have guard duty and they got the dogs moving around. Maybe they're barking. Hey, go see why that dog's barking. Go check it out. Is there a wolf around, etc. And then all of a sudden on that mundane evening, uh, well, God's dimension intersected uh, with, our, with our dimension. And all of a sudden you saw just how close heaven is to us. Uh, and they saw the glory of an angel. That would, that would change your day, wouldn't it? <laughs> and imagine when they went home, what they told their wives. Hey, how was your shift? <laughs> whoa, whoa. Not like anything you've ever seen before. So in Luke chapter, and we will eventually get to Ezekiel 37 in case you're thinking I've lost focus. Okay. I'm, I'll get there. Because you thought that, right? Luke 2. Uh, verse 10 says that when this happened, the angel that appeared said unto them what he would have told anybody, like if you were to have been there, he would have said the same thing to you. Because <laughs> if you saw an angel appear from his dimension to our dimension, glowing, glistening white, blinding light, uh, he would be telling you, don't be afraid. Why? Your knees would be shaking, knocking, hair on the back of your head, raised up, total fear. Don't be afraid. Then he tells you why you shouldn't be afraid. For behold, the angel says, hey, I got some good news. And, it, and it's joyous news, uh, which shall be for all the people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, what's the news? Well, the, uh, today in the city of David, which is what city by? 
way of Bible trivia, it's Bethlehem. Uh, there has been born for you a savior. Who's the savior? He's Christ. He's the Christos in Greek or the Messiah in the Hebrew. He's the anointed one that they've, the prophets foretold to come. And, and who is he exactly? Well, he tells you. He's not a Lord. He's the Lord. Uh, amazing news. So imagine he took these lowly men who had a, a very low skill type job and he, he appeared to them to give them the, the great news that the Messiah, that the prophets had foretold for thousands of years was, was Bethlehem. They, they've got to go see him. Uh, what does this tell you? Well, you might feel like you're a nobody uh, and that you're, you, you know, you don't really have a great job and there's not a bunch of degrees after your name and, and, and all that kind of stuff. A lot of, not of money, you don't have a lot of money in the bank, et cetera. So, but God specializes in revealing himself to people like that and using them for great things. He came to the shepherds uh, and he says he's, he's gonna be born uh, in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem, Beit Lechem uh, means house of bread. And that's another sermon because who was born in that city? The bread of life. Jesus. Uh, and why was, he had, why was he born in Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem was, uh, the, the, Bethel, it was the birthplace of, Jesus, of uh, David, the great king. Uh, and uh, as we've seen in our study of the great prophecies from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, uh, God promised David that I'm going to make your dynasty eternal. Uh, and that meant by definition, well, the, the true king that would come, the forever king, Jesus is, has to come from that city. So Micah, a contemporary of Isaiah, as we've said before, uh, says by way of prophecy in verses one and two of his book that uh, the Messiah would not only come from uh, Abraham's you know, uh, people, the Jews, uh, and not only from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, verse 10 to 12, but he would also come from the line of David. And that, that city was Bethlehem. And that's what Isaiah, uh, Micah says, that he will be born there. And he says, this is, this is what kind of news? joyous news, joyous news. You have to ask yourself, in 5 BC, when Jesus was born, was it joyous time? Uh, no, if you study, uh, there's a, a scholar named Bo Reiki, uh, makes for excellent reading on the time of Christ. Uh, at the time when Christ was born uh, and the angel appeared and told these humble men that it's a time of great joy, uh, they were under the, the boot of the Roman empire because Rome had invaded Israel uh, in 63 BC, Pompey attacked, uh, and overran the city in three days and took control of Israel. And then they picked a, a man to kind of take care of things for the Romans. His name? Herod. Herod. Yeah, you know. You haven't been to seminary either, and you know, totally, right? Herod. Herod. What, what did they put onto his moniker? Herod the what? The great. Was he great? I know. If you ever go to Israel with me and... You will, we will take you around all of the Herod, Herod's building projects. The guy I could build is amazing. But he was a great destroyer because he was a godless, ruthless man, worried about his power base. Uh, he had, uh, I think, 10 wives total. Uh, one of his wives, Mary Amney, um, was a Hasmonean pr princess from the previous dynasty. Uh, he eventually got uh, so worried about her eventually assuming the throne from him, he just got rid of her. I mean, physically, I mean, from the planet, got rid of her. He was, he was that worried about his wife. That happened in 30 BC uh, before Christ was born. Uh, she had a son called Antipater. Uh, he was afraid that his son would take the throne from him. So, well, I got rid of your mom. Well, I'll get rid of you too. Got rid of him. He had uh, two other sons, uh, Aristobulus and Alexander. Later, he was afraid that they might take the throne from him because he's power hungry as a politician. So he just got rid of those two sons as well. And then you have this angel showing up. And telling the shepherds, I know you live at a very difficult, dark day, but I got some joyous news for you. Things, things are going to change. 
And things did change when the angel arrived. The angel who understood the Old Testament well, as did the, those uh, Jewish shepherds, they would have understood a prophecy like Ezekiel 37. Because it's a prophecy to the nation, Israel, that God was going to revive them as a nation, uh, to deliver them. Uh, because if you study their history, uh, the nation was split, as we've said before, by way of review, because review is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I'm Marty. Uh, in case you forgot who I was. Uh, the nation split in two in 930 BC under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, over a heavy taxation that he brought to the country. Um, they, ev they eventually split in two as a nation, uh, and, and they had 10 tribes went north under that split uh, under uh, Jeroboam the first. Two tribes stayed in the south, like Benjamin and Judah and some of the little bit of Simeon and, and some of the Levites. Um, but they split in two. The, the, the nation was torn asunder. Uh, and we, we know from history, which I've told you before, uh, Tiglath-Pileser, the great Assyrian warlord, uh, destroyed the 10-nation uh, empire uh, up, up in the north in 722 BC. He was ruthless. He carried them all the way into captivity. They don't even know where they all went when he dispersed them. And then uh, the southern empire of Judah, uh, the line of uh, where Christ would come from, uh, they were destroyed by the Babylonians in three waves of attacks, 605, 597 B.C., and 586 B.C. They lost their entire nation and were hauled five to 600 miles off into Babylon, into captivity. So if you were a Jew at the time, you could say, there is no hope for my country. It couldn't get any worse than this. We lost the temple. We lost the land. We lost everything. All the prophecies that God ever said that he was going to use the Jewish people to bless the world, and he was going to send the Messiah through the Jewish people, all the things that were prophesied, you could have easily said, sitting in Babylon, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. And we don't even know where the other 10 tribes went. And in the middle of all, all of that, uh, that's when Ezekiel prophesies in uh, chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. It's that... Uh, familiar prophecy, if you know Ezekiel, of the Valley of the Dry Bones. And, and, and if you like singing like songs, do you, this is reaching back, but do you remember the song, Dim Bones? Yeah. Do you remember the song? Shows you how old you are. Dim Bones, Dim Bones, Dim Dry Bones. And that song? Yeah. Because God's going to say, I'm going to take this nation that thinks it's all over for them, and I'm going to bring life into them, and I'm going to rejuvenate them in two ways. Physically, I'm going to make them a nation again when they thought it was impossible. And then spiritually, I'm going to save them. That's what he tells them in verses 1 to 14. Now, what I want to talk about, because I told you we were going to talk about Ezekiel 37, and we are. I'm getting there. I'm like an attorney. i got to build my case. So be patient. Verse 15 is where he starts telling them how he's going to do it. And when he tells them how he's going to do this, uh, it's exciting because he's going to tell them in this passage, which also pertains to us, that God wants you to have hope. He wants you to have hope. Because if you look at our world, it's kind of like the Roman times and the Herodian times where things are chaotic, people are ruthless, people are in love with status, totalitarian power, nothing too much has changed. And God's like, don't be hopeless. Christmas is about hope. And that's what the angel was saying. And so the word that he's going to give Israel, the nation, is the word that also pertains to us. Why? Well, in, in Romans 9, 11 to 24, if you read it, Paul says, as the Lord has temporarily set aside Israel in his plan of things, uh, he's now worked the church in, uh, composed of Jew and Gentile. But one day he goes back to dealing with Israel again. Just read what Paul says in Romans 9 to 11. So we're in this temporary time of the age of grace where God's dealing with Jews and Gentiles who are coming into his spiritual kingdom, into the body of Christ. But anything that was told and promised to ancient Israel, well, God's gonna finish it because his name is on it. So he tells the ancient Israel, I want you to have hope. By proxy, what's he telling you? You need to have hope. 
Uh, whenever you read the paper, read the news, instead of getting mad, getting upset, you should look at that and go, I have hope. Why? Because God's at work and he's gonna bring what he said he's gonna bring. So we wanna look at the hope that he talks about. It has multiple facets to it. So what he says to Israel is what he's saying to you if you're a believer. Number one, he promises them that he's gonna give them the very thing that we lack in our day and age, unity, unity. I mean, you, you might be traveling and seeing family for Christmas, and I, I'm, I'm gonna conjecture that you're probably from different theological fields when you get together with family, correct? And you get together and you're kind of wondering, well, how are those conversations gonna go? It's hard to even have unity as a family. My family's like that. We're not all on the same page. And he says, I'm gonna bring unity where there's been absolutely historical disunity among you as a people. Verse 15, told you I was gonna get there. We're there. The word of the Lord came again to who? Ezekiel, saying what? You son of man, take up for yourself one stick and I want you to ride on it. Uh, what are you gonna write? Well, I want you to write for Judah and the sons of Israel, his companions. And then take another stick and write on it, these words, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. If you are, if you, has God ever asked you to like do something just bizarre? Like serious? This is like weird. God's telling you, uh, go find a stick. Serious? What do you want me to do? I want you to take off the bark and make, it's gotta be a big stick. And then I want you to carve in it these words for, you know, Judah, Yehuda. I mean, put it in there, come on. And, and he's like, well, what am I doing that for? Just two sticks. And so that's what, exactly what he did. Now, some have said the sticks represented a scepter, like a royalty, like two kingdoms, because they were two kingdoms. But, but they've been decimated. They've been apart from uh, Ezekiel's prophecy. They've been divided as a nation for 337 years at the time of this prophecy. So you could say, as I said before, all hope is lost if you're a Jew then. And God's like, oh no, no, I'm gonna revive the nation and here's how I'm gonna do it. It's gonna start with sticks. Put the tribes of Judah, the south on the one stick, put the Ephraim, because that was what they were called, the, the tribes of Ephraim up in the north, that was the main tribe, put them on the other stick. And then God says uh, in verse 17, then I, I want you to join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. So if you had to pick, pick the main word of that passage, what would it be? It's monosyllabic. If you're wondering what monosyllabic means, just ask somebody. It's one syllable. The word is one. God's like, hey, I'm, it's just one. I'm going to make the nation that's been divided into one. Like, think about our nation. Is it one? Nah, by any stretch of imagination. Not in my lifetime has it ever been one. But God says, when it comes to my people Israel, um, they're, they're gonna be one. Now, one of my Jewish friends over in Israel told me, if you put 20 Jews into a room, you get 20 opinions. And I'm like, that's, that's true. He's like, it's absolutely true. Uh, and if you're Jewish, you understand this, do you not? I know they're Jews, sir, you're being quiet. Yeah, because you have, you have a thinking mind. So you have all these opinions. It's hard to be one because you're also intellectual and have your ideas. And God says, no, I'm gonna make you one. So take these sticks and tie them together. Now the rabbis, if you read the rabbis say, when this occurred, God miraculously wedded the wood together. Okay, that's possible. Doesn't say that here. Uh, but I'm thinking they, may, they probably just tied it together. So uh, Ezekiel takes, takes some rope, tie it together, make it one. Because the nation is gonna be one. But the nation at this time was not one. They've been destroyed and apart for 337 years. And then he says, this is so important. You need to tell your children. So like what goes on on Sunday, like what we talk about, you should teach your children. It says in verse 18, and when you're, the sons of your people, like your children, speak and ask you saying, but will you not declare to what do these mean? And what's up with the sticks? Mom, Ezekiel's doing weird things again. 
He's written the names of the tribes on a couple of sticks. And he's, he, he went down to the local version of Yom Depot, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> slight modification. Because <laughs> it's a Hebrew. It's not home. It's Yom. And um, you need to say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions. And I'll put them with it, with the stick of Judah and make them one stick. Uh, and I, they will be in, uh, in my hand one uh, and, the, and the six on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. And say to them, your children, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations, the Goyim, where they have been dispersed, where they've gone. And I will gather them from every side and bring them into their land. Remember, God said, I'm going to give them a land. Abraham, Genesis 12 uh, and 15. Uh, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be their king over all of them. And they will no, no longer be two kingdoms and they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms because God said, I'm going to make them one, one king, one nation. Has that happened yet? Uh, no, it has not happened yet. Uh, historically, the Jews were taken into captivity. I told you a few minutes ago, it's this test time. You ready? They were taken into captivity, the 10 tribes in the north by what empire? The Assyrians. What year? 722 BC. I know you're listening. 722 BC, they carried him to captivity. Uh, the, the Southern Empire, the Judah, uh, that tribe was taken off into captivity, 586 BC. They didn't return for 70 years. And so uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, when he defeated the Babylonians, uh, 539 BC, he released the Jews to go back home. They didn't all go because they got settled in Babylon. But many of them went back. Uh, and uh, if you read your Bible, Nehemiah rebuilt what? The walls of the city. Uh, with a sword in one hand and a shield, and the other hand, you know, you, you're guarding yourself from the enemies. And then Zerubbabel went back and rebuilt the, the, the temple. Uh, but then eventually in history, Alexander the Great uh, rolled through the region, destroyed uh, con country one after the other, uh, eventually died as a young man. His country split up among his generals. Uh, his generals uh, didn't like each other. And if you study history, uh, Seleucus, uh, one of his generals, uh, developed one of the greatest empires known at the time. Uh, and there's eventually a man, this is the Syrian empire on the north of Israel. He, he dominates Israel. He takes over Israel. Antiochus Epiphanes uh, was the, the antichrist type of the Seleucid empire. And under his control, uh, the Jews did not have peace. They were not one nation. But we know that this week, I think last Thursday was uh, the last day of Hanukkah, was it not? Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was thir Thursday, it was Hanukkah. And what was Hanukkah about? Uh, the, the, the lights, uh, the, the lights that the oil continued to burn, is it not? Am I off? Am I what? Uh, yeah, well, am I, on the, am I on the right festival day? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's God using the, the Maccabeans, correct? To, 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 to kick off the role of the Seleucid Empire, Correct. Yeah, to retake the temple. Yeah, that's my whole sermon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they, so they did, did they not? And, it was, and it, was a, it was a miracle that these priests did this. And so they, they celebrate God keeping the oil going uh, in the candles uh, as, this went, as this all took place. Uh, but this was a great point of light. That the, what, what happened? They never thought this would happen, but it happened. Uh, when I was out shopping this week at Safeway, working on my sermon, uh, I ran in on the two separate aisles, two Jewish men that were ultra-Orthodox Jews. Uh, one was a young man pushing a stroller, and the other guy had a, the, the black hat on and the tefillim, the prayer, and everything. I knew who he was. They didn't know me from Adam. I'm just your typical goy walking around, uh, uh, Gentile. And I saw both of them. 
Uh, and I told them, uh, I hope you had a blessed Hanukkah. Uh, and, uh, and they looked at me like I was from Mars, like, because I used Hebrew with them. And they're like, who are you and what is going on? Uh, and, and, so I, I, you know, I, and so I told the one guy, uh, Lechaim means to life. And so I said, uh, well, to that, I would also say Lechaim and to life. And he's like, uh, yeah, it is good to talk about life. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because God has blessed your nation. And when you look at these great prophecies, God's prophesying that he will take this nation and he will unify them. But they were carried into captivity. Uh, and, and God says, I'm going to do something wonderful. I'm going I'm to bless you with a, with a nation eventually. So in 1948, May 14th, they were brought back into the land. I mean, this was a miracle of all miracles. Anybody that was alive back then was a Christian is looking at their Bible going, this is a miracle. After the Holocaust, after Hitler, God brings the people back to the nation and they form a nation. They're not trained as warriors, but they take on uh, all of the enemies because they asked for terms of peace from their five Arab neighbors and they didn't give them peace. They had to fight. I mean, God protected them and God delivered them. Why? Because he said, I'm gonna bring you back to that land. So God's fulfilling his plan, even in our day, like in slow motion. First, he sends the Messiah to be the king and the savior. And then he brings uh, the, the people back to the land uh, and he's gotta make them into one nation. So you have to ask yourself, is Israel today united completely, 100% as one nation? And the answer is no. No, because they all cannot get along because you have different parties that don't like each other. Consider our country. Nope. <laughs> Do Republicans get along 100% with Democrats? So you're not even gonna talk now. Um, do progressives, etc. I mean, you can just go down the list. We have our own issues. So do they. So the Likud party fights with the Labor Party. The Labor Party fights with the Yamina Party. I mean, they have all these divisions, but, uh, but the, the tragedy that happened on October the 7th has united them in a miraculous way because they all of a sudden realized our national life is at stake. We, we've got to get together, which is an amazing thing. God's united them. But it's not the unity they're going to have when Jesus shows up because the prophet prophesied when you thought your nation was dead and it was over, I'm gonna send you a king. And that king has to be over a nation. I'm gonna bring your people back to the land. You're watching them being brought back to the land. I think since uh, the nation was founded, some 4 million Jews have returned. This is all in fulfillment of prophecy. God says, uh, let me give you some more hope. He says, I'm gonna transform the nation because God's into transforming people. Uh, verse 23, it says, they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all of their dwelling places in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and, and they will be my people and I will, I will be their God. Is Israel safe today as a nation? No, no, no. They don't all accept Christ as the Messiah. But he says, the day is gonna come when I'm gonna transform them. When's that gonna happen? Well, he's going to save them uh, when he appears the next time. First time he came was the savior. The next time he's coming as the king. And when they see him at the end of the tribulation, they're gonna turn to them. Not all of them, but many of them will turn to him. Zechariah says so, Zechariah 12, verse nine. says it's gonna come about in that day that I will set out to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Because in the future, the nations are gonna try to destroy Israel one more time. He says, I'm gonna pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look up on me on whom they pierced. They will mourn for him, the Messiah, as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of the, over the firstborn. He said, there's gonna come the day in the future, the end of the tribulation, that's Zechariah's prophesying, when the Messiah will appear, right when your nation is about to be obliterated by the nations, Jesus, the King of Kings will show up and he'll be your savior and he'll be your king. 
So he's telling them, have great hope because salvation's coming. So when the angel speaks of great joy, he's speaking of the great joy that well, the king is here. He's born in the right city, right, from, right family line, right tribe. And if the savior is here, it means the king is here. We're just waiting for the kingdom to be fulfilled. He says in verse 26, he says, I'm gonna make a covenant of peace with them and it will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and I'll set my sanctuary in their midst forever. The covenant of peace uh, is what Jeremiah talks about in chapter 31. This is the new covenant. Now as Christians, we get in on the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied that we as uh, um, benefactors of the work of Jesus can find peace with God through Christ. Because all the people that got baptized here today, they're all telling you, I came to know Christ. He covered my sin for all time. Uh, and now I have peace with God. I'm not, uh, I'm not at odds with God anymore. That's what he promises the nation. Verse 31 of Jeremiah, 31. Jeremiah says about the new covenant, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I'm gonna put my laws within them and it will be on their heart, I will write it, and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. They, they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He's gonna bless them. That's, that's the nation. And we as the church will be able to watch that happen when the Lord appears at the end of the tribulation and he begins to save them with his appearance and they see the Lord himself. They will then accept him as Lord and Savior, many of them, and they will experience peace. I have to stop and ask you, do you know inner peace? I mean, inner peace, where does, where does it come from? It comes from a relationship with the, with the Christ who came first to be your savior and came second to be the king. And when you come to know him, you get in on that new covenant. So when you partake of the elements for Holy Communion, this is all part of that new covenant that you are saying, this is his body that bore my sin and this is his blood shed for me. And I remember him until he returns and he's gonna return. And he's gonna fulfill all this that he's promised uh, to Israel and to also the church. He says uh, that he's coming to, to, to bring transformation. Um, if you know Christ, you've been transformed. You are no longer the same person anymore. He's given your, you forgiveness and he's given you a, a, a new life in Christ. He's gonna do that for the nation one day. He also tells them, uh, he gives them hope for a king, a true king. Now, some think that we will be able to vote in total peace and tranquility with the next election cycle. Do you have hope? I'm 65 years old. I've watched a lot of politicians come and go. And I don't know. It's always the next guy comes and there's, there's always issues. Why? Well, they've all got clay feet. Uh, and, and so God says, well, no, there's, there's a king coming who's the king. Verse 24. He said, uh, let me tell you who's coming. He says, my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd that day and they will walk in my ordinance and keep my statutes and observe them. He says, they're gonna be obedient unto me and they are going to have a king who's David. Now, I've told you before, in interpreting scripture, if the plain sense, do you, do you know this? Have you been here before? If the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, because that leads to nonsense. Okay, I'll say it again, because you weren't really listening. So, so if the plain sense in the text makes good sense, seek no other sense, because it leads to nonsense. So if it says David, what would she, we conclude? Well, it must be David. Um, well, is that true? It says David. Well, 
some say that it's David, uh, and some scholars say that it's not David. It's the ultimate David. Uh, and you can argue about it all day long. I will not die on this hill. Um, but this is Jesus. <laughs> He's the ultimate David. Now, it's possible that uh, Jesus has a co-regent, and, and David is resurrected uh, and is made co-regent of Jesus. But the ultimate David is Jesus. Uh, because he's the king of kings. And so uh, I've read uh, different professors that I've had over the, t- over the years. Uh, they're not all on the same page, but I, I, I lean more toward this is gonna be Jesus, the ultimate David, who will rule and reign over the, over the kingdom as, as prophesied. Um, and he's gonna bring peace, true peace, when he, when he establishes his new kingdom. T- t- today, what do we have? Political upheaval everywhere. Tyrants all are over the place. People love power, status power. Uh, but the true, true peace will come when Jesus appears and he's the ultimate David. I just have a question for you. Uh, when that Lord comes, will you be with him in his kingdom? Because he's gonna have his people with him. And the way you become part of his kingdom is you bow before him in faith and he saves you and redeems you and makes you part of his family. He promises them a home. He says in verse uh, 25, have hope because you're gonna have a home. Um, what's happening today? The world is trying to take the Jews out of their home that God gave them. God says in verse 25, they shall live on the land that I gave Jacob, my servant, in which their fathers lived. They will live on it and they and their sons and their sons' sons. How long will they live there? Forever. And he says, remember, David and my servant shall be their prince forever. A forever king is Jesus. He's the eternal one. So he's promised them a land. So when you look at what's going on geopolitically in the world today, I can tell you that whatever Hamas does, whatever Hezbollah does, whatever Iran does will not work. Why? because they're dealing with the almighty God. And he said, I've called those people. I've called the Messiah through them. And my son's gonna rule and reign over that nation and they will bless the world in that day. Uh, Do you know that king? The last thing he says is, I wanna give you hope that you're gonna have uh, worship like you've never had worship before. Because at the time they didn't have a temple. Look at verse uh, 27. It says, my dwelling place shall be among them and I will be their God. They will be my people and all the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Uh, I've been up on the temple mount many times. Uh, there's, there's no temple anymore. But one day the Lord says, I will build a temple. And in that temple, I will rule and reign from there. Ezekiel is merely saying what Isaiah says in chapter two that the Messiah will rule and reign in Jerusalem from a rebuilt temple. Imagine going to church and you're going to the temple that, that Christ builds and you can go sit at his feet and learn from him on a Sunday. Talk about a sermon that will not be boring. Talk about exciting. You will not want it to end. And so again, I must ask you, when the Lord builds his temple, which Ezekiel says in chapter 40 to 43 that, that the Lord will do, you gonna be there? You gonna be there? How do you get there? Will you come by means of Christ? What the angels say, uh, you need to go to Bethlehem because the Savior is born there. And he's also the Messiah, the Lord. He is your King. He brings peace. He brings hope, hope of salvation, hope of resurrection, uh, hope of uh, that one day uh, there will be peace on the planet, uh, hope of restoration, uh, hope there will be justice, hope that there will be holiness. He's bringing it. I plan on joining him. I hope you will join us by knowing Christ.